This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 621 with Amy Henderson. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 621. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Amy Henderson is one of our nation's leading voices on the critical role of parenting and caregiving in developing the future of work. Amy has three kids and is the founding CEO of TendLab, where she has been working with companies and their parents groups at places like Salesforce, Cloudflare, Airbnb, Lululemon, and many others to optimize the workplace for parents. As cited in Forbes for her truly collaborative nature, Amy also started and co-leads the FamTech Founders Collaborative, a network of over 180 founders who are solving the needs of caregivers. A regular speaker and author advocating on behalf of the power of parenthood at work, Amy has been featured in and written for The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, Slate, InStyle, and more. Her book, which I highly recommend, Tending, Parenthood and the Future of Work, was published by Nation Builder Books in May of 2021. I got to hear Amy speak in an event for her book recently, and I was blown away. I reached out to her, which means I stalked her down online (laughs) immediately after the event and asked her if she would join me for an interview. And I'm so delighted and honored that she said yes. Her work is not only brilliant, but absolutely critical right now. Listen in to hear Amy share her stark realization after having three kids under the age of four and having to figure out how to raise babies and her career. How parenthood changes all parents' brains, regardless of whether or not you birthed your child how parenthood unlocks parts of your brain forever, 
And that qualifies you to show up and lead in new and more dynamic ways for the rest of your life. She talks about why the U.S. is the only developed country in the world in which parenthood decreases your happiness instead of increasing it. She digs into the motherhood penalty in the workplace. P.S. It's real. And she talks about how PTSD prepared her for becoming a working mom in America. Then she shares with us three things parenthood unlocks within you that make you more capable and more marketable if you choose to leverage them. And she tells us what gives her hope for working moms in the U.S. and how COVID may have actually helped us in a certain sense. This is a fantastic conversation. I could have talked to Amy for so long. She's a fabulous educator. She knows her stuff. She has the research to back it up. You're going to learn a number of things, but also she has a very soothing voice. So you just feel like you are tended to as we have this conversation around tending. So I'm so excited and honored to be welcoming Amy Henderson to the Shameless Mom Academy. Amy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. I have to give a shout out to my friend, Melissa, who invited me to attend a virtual event that you were participating in talking about your book. And, oh, I was just captivated by every single thing that you said and just completely enthralled by your message. So thank you, Melissa. And also thank you so much for your quick follow-up when I was like, Hey, you want to come on my podcast? And you immediately said yes. Yeah. I'm a big fan of what you do. So really glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now in the season that we're in. Well, first I'm so grateful. My kids are physically in school. Same, same. How old are your kids? They're six, eight, and 10. Okay. And which means that we were doing zoom kindergarten where clothing was optional for my five-year-old, <laughs> so she thought. And we were Zoom schooling for 15 months, and I have never been more appreciative of public, of education, and yeah. it is outside of the home. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness, 15 months. I mean, that's, I think it's one of those things that when we were in that season, it felt endless and relentless for sure. But when we yeah. look back, we're like, 15 months. How did we do that? And those, I think we have those times in our life, those seasons in our lives, and especially seasons in motherhood where we look back and we're like, I don't know how I got through that, but I somehow got up every morning and got through the day. And I thank God, I hopefully I don't ever have to do that again. Yes, Sarah, I really appreciate that perspective on it. And I completely agree. And that's actually the whole foundation of the work I do now, which is that those periods where we feel like we're, we're breaking or broken and we do have, you know, I'll tell you, I have many stories of like falling apart in those 15 months of COVID schooling with three small children. But the whole point of my work is those times that feel like they're breaking us are actually forging us and there are opportunities for us to become more potent versions of who we were before. Absolutely. I think that when we're in those moments and people are like, but this is making you stronger and more resilient. You just roll your eyes and you maybe want to punch someone. (laughs) But then when you do get to the other side, you do have this sense of like, I am a force and I am unstoppable and there's nothing I can't do because I just did that. 
Yeah, you know, I completely agree. And I think this sort of the platitudes around it, which like, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I mean, that right. just makes me want to vomit. But what I found really interesting in my work, so if it's okay, I'll shift into a little bit of the history of what I do. Absolutely. Great. So when my third was born, I had three under the age of four and I felt like I was staring down the barrel of a gun. I couldn't imagine how I was going to maintain the career that I loved and also be the parent that I wanted to be. And so I did, you know, when I was out on maternity leave, because I'm in the 14% of Americans who have access to paid family leave, I was calling up the working moms and then eventually the working dads I most admired to say like, how am I going to do this? How do you do it? What is going on? And that ultimately led me to leave the work I was doing and start a business to address parenthood because of all that I discovered there. And I feel like I'm talking quite a bit now and I want to hear more from you, but like the big thing that happened that is related to what you just, we were just talking about is I discovered all this research around what happens to your brain in parenting. And that is the thing that I find really cuts through all the platitudes. Yes. it's not about like, you know, if you, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's about the fact that the year surrounding the birth of one's child, and this is true for all parents, regardless of gender or birth status, the year surrounding the birth of one's child is the greatest potential for brain plasticity or malleability in the entire adult experience. Okay. So this is what blew my mind in your talk, because I do think we, the platitudes are like, yes, like, because we go through this hard thing, that means we can do more hard things and we're strong and we're resilient and we're resourceful and scrappy and all those things, which sound great. But the actual science that proves that it's, this is true is really impressive. And I also think it gives us so much power to really own this as which again, it sounds cheesy, but like motherhood is resume builder and we don't talk about that. And if we can really look at the brain science, then why is this not on our resumes as like our biggest achievement? And the thing that really qualifies us to be sitting at the head of a boardroom table or in that CEO role, because we've gone through this major brain shift. So can you talk more about, and you mentioned it with both, regardless of gender, if you could talk about what that looks like for both parents, mothers and fathers. Yeah. I'm really happy to talk about that. And I think too, one of the biggest revelations for me in this work was that this transformation is available to men and to non-birth parents of all genders. Because when I started this work, I thought only moms could understand and that that we would never, I remember I had an interview with my good friend, Leah Endress, her company ended up publishing my book. But before I even started this work, I told her, look, data and dads will never fully understand the experience that I'm going through. That's what Mm. I told her. And then now here I am six years later and the core of my work or the core of what I'm really looking to, to sort of speak to and message is around data and dads. So it's funny how, you know, your life journey can take you the exact opposite place you thought you were going to go. So fascinating. I'll let you, I have a follow-up questions, but go ahead. I want you to go ahead and talk a little bit more about the brain before I dive in. What we know is that in parenting, if you are a birth parent, that you are likely to develop all the hormones within your system that neurologically prime you to be able to respond to the needs of your infant. And that the region of the brain that is most neurologically primed is the amygdala, which is sort of like right in the center of your brain. It's like the part of the brain that we share with all other mammals. And it's like, as a mom, it's why When your baby's crying and you haven't even consciously registered, you haven't even thought to yourself, oh, my baby's crying, you'll automatically start to let down milk. It's the instinctual response Mm -hmm. we have to the needs of our child. 
And what they found in mice is that when mice are responsible for caring for a litter, if they've been involved in that caretaking for a time, if they've neurologically primed themselves and activated their amygdala, that you can disconnect the amygdala from the conscious thinking parts of the brain and mice are still badass moms. Mm. which in other words indicates that we may not even need to think to parent. If we have our amygdala and our parental network fully activated, we can parent on instinct. Wow. And so that's what's available to birth mothers. Yeah. What, we, what they know is that non-birth parents and dads are first likely to show up for parenting in the regions of the brain that are called the STS networks and they're bilateral and they're in the conscious thinking part of the brain and they're associated with mentalizing behavior. So a dad sees a baby cry and they have to think it through. Okay, is the baby hungry? Is the baby thirsty? Is the baby tired? A dad is not automatically going to let down milk when they hear a baby crying. And so over time, what they found is that dads who show up, in particular primary caretaking dads, these conscious thinking parts of the brain begin to recruit the amygdala. And in a primary caretaking dad, the amygdala and the parental caregiving network, all the associated structures around the amygdala can be as activated as they are in a primary care breastfeeding birth mother. Mm, that's which, so interesting. Isn't that so fascinating? Which means that a dad can activate his instinctual capacity to respond to his infant. And when I learned that, it changed everything in my house. I was like, wait a minute. I was going to say, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, so you, you can actually take on more responsibilities. <laughs> like, totally, since you are, totally. you actually have a deeper understanding than I thought. You, you're capable of developing a deeper understanding. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And so I have this story of when I, my littlest was six months old when I discovered this. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this needs, and so. So one of the things that started happening is I came to my husband and I said, look, I'm the one that has gotten up with all three of our kids. Now we have three under four. Like I'm not sleeping very much because everybody's always up, especially our infant. This has got to change. And he said, well, I'd be happy to get up, but I just never hear them cry. And so, oh my gosh, well, right? welcome to every mother's household. Welcome to, right? I mean, they're like snoring, like, yes. And like any little whimper from the baby and you're like bolt upright, right? Yeah. So I said, all right, well, let's change that. I'll start waking you up when the baby cries at night, the infant. And so I started doing that. And we were about three months into it when he asked me in the kitchen in the morning, he's like, hey, how come you didn't wake me up last night? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, and we had the revelation that he had heard her cry and I hadn't. That oh my gosh. Slept through it. And so it was amazing. And we also discovered that when he went to her, she calmed down faster and she slept longer. <gasps> it was a win-win. Oh. Round. <laughs> Everyone who has infants right now is like, I'm doing this experiment tonight. <laughs> yes. I highly recommend it. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, Sarah, one of the things that you had talked about was how, you know, women should be putting this on their resume. And what I ended up doing after conducting all these interviews and looking into research from all these disciplines, I have a little bit of a background in neuroscience. So that's why I particularly nerded out in the brain research, but I ended up forming a business called Tend Lab that's all around our overall mission is to transform our cultural narrative about parenthood's impact on career performance. But what I think is really interesting is one of the last moms I interviewed was the original VP of HR, human resources and diversity and inclusion at Twitter. She was still at Twitter. And when I told her about how I'd coded the interviews and looked into the brain science and found that there were these core skills that parenthood developed. Parenthood, by the way, 
possibly more than anything else because of this drastic neurological transformation that's available. I remember Janet Van Hise is her name, the woman at Twitter, and she dropped her fork on her plate. And she said, Amy, I spend more money than I care to admit training our leaders to develop these skills. And you're telling me parenthood? And I said, yes. And I courted her and she ended up joining me. And we co-founded a business called 10 Lab to help companies recognize and realize the value of their parent employees. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. I love the idea of unlocking part of the brain. I mean, so, cause what I'm imagining as you're talking about this is I'm imagining like in my visual imagination, this like synapses firing that have never fired before and like making these new connections and yes. sounds really cool. But then I'm also love the visual of like unlocking parts of your brain that are there. And like, there's this triggering event that's now this piece is unlocked. And once it's unlocked, like you don't go back. And so, yes, so you have access to this in this new way. And I think this is exactly when we talk about motherhood being a resume builder, you have unlocked these parts of your brain and you've unlocked different parts of like all these different capacities that you have that you didn't know. But yes. I think because society doesn't define it this way no. and doesn't appreciate it this way, we don't have words to use, to put on our resumes or to, to talk about in an interview to market ourselves with these unlocked parts of our brains. Yes. Well, first of all, you had mentioned how these changes last. These changes from the research appear to last a lifetime. So Mm -hmm. what happens during that window of extreme plasticity, that year surrounding the birth of your child, those changes last a lifetime. So yes, they do last. And then that your second point, which is around not knowing how to articulate these changes in a positive way is exactly the work that we're about. And I've recently discovered the whole realm of behavioral science research. And in that context, what we've been doing at 10Lab for the last six years is providing what they call counter-stereotypic information. And so there's some really great research showing that when you present counter-stereotypic information, it has a drastic impact on the experience of both yourself and the people you're working with. And so, for example, there was a big study in which pregnant women went to apply for jobs. And if they told the hiring manager information that would debunk the bias that they as pregnant women were likely to face, then that hiring manager was exponentially more friendly towards them, treated them better, more likely to give them an application and more likely to extend them an offer, which that candidate would accept as they went through the journey. Interesting. Right. And so that's totally the opposite of what you would expect. It's totally opposite of what you'd expect. Right. And so that's what we have been at 10 Lab all about, which is like, how do we provide 
parents with the counter stereotyping information, how do we help you arm yourself with the understanding that you're showing up for parenthood makes you better in your career? Um, yes. And how do we also help employers create the conditions that allow those parents to recognize and realize and fully unlock those skills and build in systems and structures within their companies that recognize parents as assets? Yes. Oh my gosh. Everything you're saying, I'm like, I still have so many more questions because this is all so, it's fascinating and it's so helpful and it's so supportive of exactly what we need right now. And I also want to make sure I'm keeping us within some of the questions that I plan for this. I'm like, I'm not even looking at my interview questions because I'm so intrigued by every word that you're saying. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you about that I think is really important for us to recognize. And I think that depending on how, what you see on social media, you may or may not know this to be true, but it is harder in the, to be a working parent in the U S than in any other developed country in the world. And this is something I've been seeing for a while, but for other people that might be like mind blowing, or we might be like in disbelief. Cause again, when we're working through things that are really hard, we're just showing up every day, doing it, not really recognizing how hard it is. So for our working moms who are listening, which I know is many of you recognize that you're doing this in a harder way than any other country in the developed world. And can you talk, Amy, a little bit about why it's harder here than anywhere else? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. And also something I recently discovered about that hardness factor. There's a researcher, Dr. Glass, at the University of Texas, who studied happiness in parents, both in the U.S. and in other developed countries. And what she found is that in general, parents in other developed nations are happier than people without kids. But in the U.S., it's the exact opposite. Oh. We are the only developed nation in the world where having kids reduces your happiness relative to people without kids. And so I think that there are some other really great researchers like my friend, Dr. Alexander Sachs, the reproductive psychologist, who feels as though there is an epidemic of shame among working moms in the U.S. today because we do not have the support that we need to succeed. And there's many reasons, but I think at its core, we are the only developed nation in the world that doesn't have a meaningful federal care infrastructure. So we're the only nation besides Papua New Guinea that doesn't have paid maternity leave. We don't have federally subsidized early childhood education for all citizens, regardless of income. And what that means is we don't have a care infrastructure in the US. Our childcare system is, you know, over 50% of parents lived in childcare deserts prior to COVID. And now, because of COVID, up to half of those centers have closed for good. So we yeah. are in a childcare crisis in this country. Yeah. We can't find care. The care isn't as high of a quality as it would be in any other developed nation in the world. And it's unaffordable for the majority of parents in the U.S. So it's a real crisis. We also are the only you know, developed nation in the world with no minimum standard for vacation or sick days. So we don't have a federal care infrastructure here in the U.S., which means that we are also the nation, the of all developed nations in the world, the motherhood penalty, the bias against moms is greater here than anywhere else in the workplace. Yes. I want people, I want our moms listening to recognize like the motherhood penalty is first of all real. And so when you are feeling that in the workplace, when you're having this sense of like, this doesn't feel fair to me as a mom, or this feels like there's bias against me as a mom in this business, which I know so many of my clients feel this way. And so many different ways. And sometimes on a daily basis, that's very real and legitimate and valid. And let us affirm you that that's a really big deal. 
And you mentioned shame. And I want to go back to that because you also mentioned shame among working parents and Oh my goodness. I know how I feel at times when I'm feeling like I'm picking between my work that I have a lot of freedom with and motherhood, which I also have a lot of freedom with. Like I can pick however I want to do that. I don't have the constraints of working nine to five in someone else's company. And I still feel shame around my work and parenting boundaries. So can you talk about this epidemic of shame among working parents and what that looks like and why we're there? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole thing to unpack in a really meaningful way. And I can answer it in a bunch of different ways. But one thing, there's two ways I'm going to answer that. One is I'm going to talk about some really great research that Bridget Schulte writes about in her book, Overwhelmed. And she cites how working moms today spend more time with their kids than stay-at-home moms of the 60s and 70s. Um, I've heard this research as well. Yes. It's incredible. Like so eye-opening. So eye-opening. And what that means is that we're forsaking sleep, personal Mm -hmm. care, and leisure time in order to do so. And that speaks of the culture of like this, what we call like high intensive parenting. And I know I feel it, you know, this expectation, and I think social media feeds it, that we need to be you know, the perfect parent all the time, highly engaged with our kids, like, you know, always, always, always pouring ourselves into them to the detriment of ourselves. And I think the standard that's been set in our culture is so high that we are all failing according to that standard that we see out there. Absolutely. Um, So that definitely breeds the shame. But another thing that helped me quite a bit in my discovery and that I write about a lot in my book is I wanted to understand the history of motherhood and I sat, I had the most incredible opportunity to spend a bunch of time with Dr. Sarah Blafer Hurdy. She's an evolutionary anthropologist and scientists consider her to be like the leading scientific authority on motherhood. She's just amazing. And her story really healed me. And I'll, I'll share it with you now, which is that she was a postdoc at Harvard studying evolutionary anthropology when she had her first child back in 1976. And her main beloved mentor, Dr. Bob Trivers, told a journalist that Sarah should put down her career, forsake her career to go be home with her child so that misery wouldn't continue to pass down the generations. Wow. And poor Sarah, whose own mother wasn't actively involved in her life in any meaningful way, and who Sarah had a lot of trauma from not having an engaged mother, really struggled with that. You know, her beloved mentor... Her main teacher saying she should forsake her career, knowing that she had been forsaken as a child and grappling Mm -hmm. with that, she really sort of thought, wow. But she also, because she's a scientist and also one of my, you know, sheroes, really thought she sat with it and she said, I was never one to agonize when I can analyze instead. And what she discovered was that she didn't feel as though she should forsake her career for her kids. She loved her children, but she also wanted to be involved in the world and pursue her own passions. And she said she looked around her and all of her peers were the same way. They didn't want to have to forsake their careers. Many of them did because they felt pressured to, but they didn't want to. And so she said, if from an evolutionary standpoint, this is something I should do, if this is the best thing for my kid, then I should want to forsake my career. And I don't. Mm -hmm. And so she spent the next 30 years debunking all these myths. And basically what she found is that in the history of homo sapiens, of humans, There have never been stay-at-home moms 
we have always had passions and interests outside that of just raising our kids, which doesn't mean that being a stay-at-home mom today isn't a good thing and isn't a great thing. It means that we have created a society in which it's an either or. Mm -hmm. If we try and straddle them both, we feel like we're failing at both. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been either or before. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love agonize versus analyze. And I'm thinking about all the, bringing it back to shame, all the shame spirals we let ourselves get into when we're in that place of agonizing. And instead of analyzing like, Hmm, why do I feel this? I mean, I can give an example from this last weekend. I had to be up at our cabin and the internet was down and this is, sounds ridiculous, but I had to be up there to supervise a tree getting removed, which I can do nothing to help someone remove a tree, but I had to, someone needed to be there. So I was up there for that. The internet was down because um, they had to take the phone line down for the tree removal. So while I was up there, I was like, okay, I'm up here by myself for 24 hours. And I thought in terms of agonized versus analyze, I had planned all these things I could do on my computer for work without the internet. And I had like had this list of like, these are the things I'm going to work through because this is extra work time for me because that's what I should do so that I'm not having to like work into the evening next week. And that like, it was totally this like agonizing over how I can like, yay, get in more work time on the weekend (laughs) and when I don't have internet. (laughs) And as I was up there and I started opening my computer to do a couple of things, I was like, I also could just like stay in my pajamas and do a puzzle. (laughs) And then I thought about, and it like, I really did agonize. I was walking the dog and I'm like, do I do the puzzle? Do I do my work? And finally I was like, I'm going to stay in my pajamas and do the puzzle. And I did a thousand piece puzzle and it took me like seven hours. And the first two hours were like, I'm just going to do a little bit more and then start my work. And it took me a long time to recognize like, wait a minute, you deserve a day to just be in your pajamas and do a puzzle for seven hours. If that's what you want to do, like, this is an okay thing, but culture doesn't tell me it's an okay thing. Culture tells me you have this like bonus time alone on the weekend. You could definitely get ahead on work. I completely agree. And I think especially as moms where when do we ever have seven hours during the day? <laughs> right? <laughs> Where we have nothing. I'm like, sorry to make you all jealous. You should all get trees <laughs> removed in the woods. <laughs> right? I mean, when, when are there seven hours? And of course, all the shoulds in your head that you should be productive. You should. Yes. And I think it's either, I think the narrative I have in my head is either I should be productive and doing something for my career that either generates income now or will in the future, or I should be doing something to care for someone else. As opposed to, I think what especially moms, the voice we need to hear is, I not only need to, but must take time to care for myself. Yes. Yes. Even in like, I was like, I'll listen to an audiobook while I'm doing my puzzle. And even that was agonizing. Like I should probably listen to something like entrepreneurial book or business related or personal development, or like, could I just listen to a novel? Absolutely not. Did I even have a novel to listen to? No. <laughs> and so <laughs> I did have a memoir that was amazing, but And that's what I ended up listening to. But I had to, again, it was like every step of the way was agonizing over like, is it really okay to like really just let go of all my responsibilities? You know, it's so funny. I feel this on a daily level where it's almost like, hope this doesn't offend anybody, but my best friend from childhood is a nurse and she often works at triage at the ER. And so when people come in, she's the one that decides who needs immediate treatment first. Mm. And so much of my days feel like that. Like I'm so many places in so many ways I have to triage every minute. Like, okay, is now when I fold the laundry, do the dishes, prep the meal or do the work, or it's like, and especially because of COVID and we're all at home all the time. It's like, 
that triage process feels brutal and it yes me and that is i mean talk about like the impact on our brain when we live constantly in that heightened state of there's 17 things i could do right now or i should do right now but i have to pick the most significant one or two in every moment of the day it's exhausting yeah, yeah it's so much <laughs> i want to talk a little bit about ptsd so you write that recovering from ptsd prepared you for being a working mom in america and i am dying to know more about this. I already have follow-up questions, but I want you to share a little bit about that before I go. Yeah. So 20 years ago, I was a, a Peace Corps volunteer in East Africa in a small country called Malawi. And I ended up coming home from that experience, as did many of the volunteers in my group with post-traumatic stress disorder. And it took me a long time to put myself back together again. I think one of the big things that people identify with PTSD, and I certainly did, was a loss of my identity. Mm -hmm. I no longer knew who I was. And that journey of putting myself back together again was very disorienting and hard. And I didn't know what I eventually came to learn, which is that walking through that extremely challenging period gave me an opportunity to become a more authentic, compassionate, and I don't know, better version of the person I'd been before. Yeah. And because I had walked through that, when I became a mom and also felt my identity dissolve, I already knew that the process of finding myself again would be one that would take me to a better place than where I'd started. Mm. When I watched all the parents around me going through similar loss of identity without having a previous experience of going through the journey of finding themselves again, when they were all in that, I call it like the gray zone of the unknown, yeah. um, without any lights or beacons to tell them that there was a gift in that moment. There was a mm -hmm. gift in the hardest times. There's such, it's such an opportunity for transformation. And then when I discovered the brain research that backed that up, that there is this extreme neurological transformation, I thought somebody's got to get out there and talk about this. Somebody's got to yeah. get out there with a lantern and say this way, my friends, this way. Absolutely. And can I ask how long after you had that experience in the Peace Corps, were you diagnosed with PTSD? They actually pulled me out with PTSD. Oh, oh while you were there. Okay. So it was immediate. Yeah. And I ask because I was diagnosed with PTSD this year and I recognize wow. a minute ago, I was asking this question very lightheartedly because it's new on my radar, but also for me, it was this like huge relief and like, oh, that explains so many things. And now I can connect so many dots. I recognize that that's not everyone's experience and it's not a lighthearted thing. So I apologize if I was flippant about like, tell me about your PTSD. Oh no, no. I mean, I write about it. I talk about it. I think it's really important. I think- yeah. There's a lot of stigma around mental health. I think, well, there's, it's interesting. There's a lot of stigma around prioritizing care over our careers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stigma about mental health. And so the intersection of those two is, is something that I'm really passionate about talking about in a personal way so that other people don't feel so alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I found in, for me, the diagnosis helped me connect some dots that were like really unclear for a really long time. And then with that clarity came like, oh my gosh this like levity that now I get it and I understand and which gave me a lot of power moving forward. Yes. And also with the platform that I have a place to be like, I want to tell other people about this because to your point, people aren't talking about this. And I think there is increasing talk around depression and for women, anxiety for sure, which I greatly appreciate, 
But I think like, as we can bring in more and more diagnoses and normalize them and help people see how sometimes those are our biggest superpowers live within those diagnoses and the experiences that we have because of them, um, then all of a sudden, similar to motherhood being a superpower and, you know, putting us in this position to be so ultra qualified for a seat at the table, we can also see how a mental health diagnosis can be very similar in that way and really allow us to, to your point, be, you know, really compassionate and thoughtful and intentional in ways that other people, because they haven't had that lived experience, just don't have the same capacity for. It's so true. I love that term that you use capacity because that's really what it's about. You know, becoming a mom expanded my capacity. And in the moment of those expansions, right, when the kid is having the massive tantrum, when you don't know what to do, when, I mean, there are moments where I like hid in the closet and the kids were screaming and I was like, just put my fingers in my ears, right? Like those are the moments Mm -hmm. where you become a bigger version of who you were before. And it doesn't feel like it when you're in it. Oh my gosh. No, it doesn't feel like it. And so to have this framing, which is really what I'm all about, which is like, look, that moment that broke you made you bigger. Mm, Absolutely. You know, of course, if you need to stay in the closet with your kid, that's great. But in your relationship to yourself and to the world, it's like, come out of that closet of shame and know, A, you're not alone. This is something that everyone who meaningfully shows up for the journey is going to experience. And B, that those moments are opportunities to forge yourself. They're making you more potent than you were before. Absolutely. The most important message of your book and your business is that parenthood potentially more than anything else unlocks critical career skills. So can you talk specifically about some of those skills? And we've alluded to some things already, but if you can expand on that and like, I feel like I'm, we can like help people walk away with their new toolkit. Now <laughs> we can help moms yeah. walk away and be like, I'm adding some things to my briefcase right now. <laughs> And, and adding them to my resume. Yes. Well, so there's three ways I will answer that. One is that when I coded the interviews I'd conducted with working parents and I conducted about 237, I found that there were five main capacities that uh, parenthood had unlocked and more than 80% of all the people I interviewed. Wow. And so the first one was enhanced efficiency and productivity. And there's some really interesting neurological research around that in which, you know, they do a lot of brain research on rodents because, you know, they can, unfortunately, they can, you know, kill them and dissect their brains in a way that they can't with humans. And what they found is that in mice, having at least one litter enhances their efficiency up to five times. Wow. Oh my gosh. Right. And you can view that in the brain slides as well. So up to five times more efficient at catching prey for mice prior to becoming parents. So that's efficiency and productivity is a big one. And I think that comes down to a lot of parents knowing that it's like their time is so fiercely limited that they're Mm going to be as effective as they can in the time that they have. Absolutely. Um, So efficiency and productivity. Another big one is enhanced emotional intelligence. And this is you know, heavily validated by all the brain research out there, you know, you enhance your capacity to be emotionally aware and intelligent about yourself and the people around you. The third one is courage. And this is really interesting. Again, they found in rodent research that when you become a parent, it actually reduces activity in the fear center of your brain. Interesting. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I learned how to ski as like three years ago with my son who was five and I was 42. And I will tell you the fear was very real. It still is real. But when you say it unlocks courage, I'm like, I would not have done that if I didn't have him, because I was like, if he's going to learn, I should, I mean, it was kind of a should, like I should probably learn too, but I was terrified. I mean, absolutely terrified. It was definitely an act of courage, but I had a lot of fear with it too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? You, you had a lot of fear. And one of the researchers who was behind this study said, when you, know, when you apply that to humans, it's as though the love for our kids is greater than the fear. Totally. And the fear probably would have stopped me had I not had him. Where, so it was like the fear probably was lower level than it would have otherwise been because it didn't stop me, but it was there. It was still there. Right. And that's yeah. the big thing, right? I mean, I think the gift of parenting is that it, the love that we have for our kids forces us to challenge ourselves in ways that nothing else could, at least really. Yeah. And so courage. And then the other one that's really interesting is the capacity to collaborate, which Mm. I spend a lot of time writing about that in my book, because it's one of the most critical skills that's needed in today's workplace. Work is increasingly becoming team-based and the ability to work well with others is what differentiates most successful people from people who aren't able to achieve the same level of success. And then the final one is the enhanced purpose that over 80% of the people I interviewed felt as though becoming a parent forced them to get into deeper alignment with the work they did in their career. Did it bring their greatest skills to the table and did it have deep meaning for them? I love that. I have a membership community of sector of my audience. that's part of my membership community, Momentum Mamas. And one of the things that happens, we always joke, like if you join Momentum Mamas, there's a really good chance you're going to quit your job because what happens is you see, you join this group of women and you start learning about yourself and kind of the trajectory that you're on. And if you aren't connected to the purpose of your work, you're like, why am I bothering? And then it becomes this journey of if I'm going to spend so much of my life and at the expense of time with my family doing this thing, it has to have meaning. And so many of our members end up quitting their jobs and finding something that has more meaning or starting their own businesses. And it's been fascinating to watch over now, almost four years as we've had members do this over and over and over again. And at first I was kind of panicky. Like, I don't want people to think they have to quit their job when they join this group. Mm-hmm. But when I thought really, I really looked through like why it was happening and what was happening from person to person, that was the connection. That was the thread through everyone was 
they recognized they were qualified for more in many cases, and that their purpose was, I want to go get the thing I deserve and the thing that brings me joy if I'm going to be spending this too much time away from the house. Oh my gosh, Sarah, what you just said is ties so perfectly to the second explanation I was going to give of the skills that parenthood unlocks, which is rooted in actually trauma research. So a good friend of mine, Dina Trujillo, she worked through the Omidyar Foundation studying trauma around the world for many, many years. And she found that the people who are resilient in the face of trauma, in some instance, very extreme trauma, women who'd survived the rape camps in the Congo, for instance, that they had three things in common. And I'm not saying that being a working mom in America is traumatic or that it leads to PTSD, but I'm also not saying it's not. Exactly. Yeah. I think that actually, especially in the wake of COVID, that a lot of working moms are experiencing PTSD and it may be undiagnosed and it may not be visible in the way that it should be, but I think this is actually a really common thing right now. Absolutely. And so what my friend Dina found in her extensive study of people who were able to be resilient in the face of trauma was three main things. First, the things that allow people to emerge through trauma. The first one is, and this speaks exactly to your community, is knowing you're not alone. Um, Having at least one more, but ideally a community of others who you feel as though you can be your honest, authentic self with, that you can bring your shame out of the closet in the company of others who are doing the same. And then the second thing is a sense of agency. So just like you said, the sense of I have some control over my own life and I am exerting it. And then the third one is a sense of purpose that you can contribute to something bigger and greater than just yourself. Yeah. And so what you just talked about with this Momentum Mamas program is essentially that when you create a container of community for other moms to realize that they're not alone, then they develop a sense of agency and then they can connect to their greater purpose. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is so good. I love all of the research, like the data that you have top of mind for all this is so juicy. And so I think what I love about it is how validating it is. I'm like, this is what I've been thinking and feeling. And you can tell me like scientifically there's proof that supports this. It's very, I feel it's it's very cathartic. I know. And it's so funny because like I said, in the beginning of our conversation here, when I started this, I thought data and dads will never understand my experience as a working mom. And here I am on the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's fascinating. Tell us what gives you hope for the future for moms in the U S well, you know, even though COVID has been brutal, I think it's finally made visible the very real challenges that working moms face. And I think that visibility has made people feel less alone. I think it's taken a lot of the sort of the shame that people felt as individuals and brought it into the collective. And so I feel I'm hopeful that we recognize that it's a societal problem that moms are under-resourced as opposed to a problem that is that lies in the shoulders and in the minds and hearts of individual women. I'm really hopeful that we're shifting to that level of awareness now. And I'm also hopeful that we're going to finally get some federal legislation to support caregivers in this country, working moms in this country. I'm hoping that the Build Back Better plan is going to continue to move forward in a meaningful way. And I think the other thing that I have seen is that, you know, what parenting unlocks, these skills that we talked about, these are the skills that we need if we're going to survive as a species. And I write about that a lot in my book, that when humans in the past have faced 
extreme challenges like the ones we're facing right now. I mean, if you really are conscious of what's happening on our planet, what's happening with the rapid pace of technological development, what's happening with the degradation of our natural environment, with climate change, and this, you know, what the people are calling the mass extinction of many species, and um, what's happening with globalization. We have never as humans seen so much change in such a short period of time. And our ability to get through this is dependent on our ability to unlock these skills that parenthood develops. In particular, our capacity to collaborate, our capacity to work well together for the greater good. And in the past, when humans have faced extreme challenges, they've never been as extreme as they are right now, but in the past, when homo sapiens, humans have faced extreme challenges, those who survived were those who came and worked together. So if we're going to make it, and those of us who are going to make it are going to be the ones who learn to develop the skills that parenthood unlocks. And I'm hopeful that the connection between these two things will become more visible and apparent in the years to come. I love it. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Wow. That's such a great question. Well, I think one thing that has happened for me in the wake of COVID, where we were Zoom schooling from home for 15 months, is this sense of understanding that I am not my best self if I don't take time for myself. Oh, yes. (laughs) And so I've actually started scheduling into my days time for just being good to myself. And so some of that is structured, like some of that is like exercise and, you know, eating good food and that, but some of it is unstructured time where I just give myself, you know, on Tuesday, I give myself two hours to do whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) Love it. I like, I'm half joking when I talk about it. And then I'm also very serious when I'm saying to moms, we must be scheduling joy, which sounds ridiculous. And also it will not happen because of, and when you talk about the PTS, potential PTSD of COVID, we unscheduled all the joy. And so now there's like no framework to bring it back in. And so I love that, like the two hours on a Tuesday or 30 minutes every morning or like whatever the thing is, making sure that it's on the calendar. Yes. And, And you know, actually one of my girlfriends, I loved this. She put on her bureau or like the mirror in her bedroom, she put this piece of paper, which says, how does the queen stay on her throne? Mm. And then she wrote out all the activities that bring her joy and that resource her. So everything from like taking a walk, taking a bubble bath, like, you know, doing laughter yoga, all the things that bring her joy. She wrote them all out on this piece of paper so that when she was feeling under-resourced and fragmented and fried, she could just go to her mirror and be like, which one speaks to me now? Cause that's what I'm going to do. And that's what she does with her time that where she schedules her joy. She just looks at her sheet and is like, okay, I got whatever window of time I've got to do any one of these things I want to do. What do I feel called to do now? Oh my gosh. I love it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> we all are going to go make our list now. Yes. Can you tell people where they can find you and connect with you? This has been phenomenal. So I want, first of all, everyone to get the book. So tell people where they can find tending and then where else and how else they can connect with you. Great. Yeah. So my book, Tending Parenthood and the Future of Work, you can find it on my website, which is amyhenderson.org. And you can also learn more about my business, Tend Lab at tendlab.com. And there's some really great things that we do both through Tend Lab and through amyhenderson.org that are around helping parents become the assets that they are in the workplace and helping individual parents recognize the positive transformation that parenthood offers. And so one of those things is a course that I lead directly for parents called Transform Your Career Through Parenthood, where we come together in a community and much like 
what you talked about with your Movement Mamas program, we come together and we recognize how parenthood is forging us. And then we take steps to translate that into the way we show up in our careers. And it's that's probably one of my favorite offerings. It's called Transform Your Career Through Parenthood. You could find it on amyhenderson.org. And that's just a really potent experience of owning your journey in a way that allows you to have a lot of agency and purpose moving forward. I love all that. Okay. So I'm going to link everything up in the show notes. I will make sure that we have your website, right? Top center where people can go ahead and connect and see all your resources, but specifically look for transform your career through parenthood. We'll link to the book tending. We'll look link to everything on social media. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Amy Henderson, you'll find all those goodies there. Oh my goodness, Amy, this has been incredible. I'm so grateful. I mean, this conversation, like I said, has been so cathartic for me, but I'm just so incredibly grateful for the work that you're putting out into the world because it is so, so desperately needed. So thank you for what you brought to this conversation, but also what you're bringing to the world. Sarah, thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're bringing to the world too and your courage in creating this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.